Oh, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, I have finally been accepted by the Henley Hens and the men. I'm here at Henley Festival. It's an amazing day, an amazing evening, and it's been a great time. So you're in tune to Goldie. Hello and welcome to the Henley Festival podcast. Exclusive interviews from acts and artists who appeared at the festival in 2017. Coming up, we'll be hearing more from Goldie, who'll be sharing his passion for music as well as bacon and egg sandwiches. Comedian Kerry pritchard McLean will clear up a rumour about her and Ben Fogle. Singer-songwriter Jack Pat will share some tales of the tour bus with us. And we'll also have a live rendition of a number one hit. Hold her. Chicken in the air, stick a deck chair up your nose, fly a jumbo jet, and then bury all your clothes. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> when drum and bass acts emerged in the early 1990s, it would probably be safe to say they weren't top of the Henley Festival organising committee's wish list. Admittedly, this is just speculation on my part, and maybe it wasn't on their radar because they were rave and jungle purists. Who knows? But even now, the sight of people in bow ties and ball gowns losing themselves to the strains of Goldie's seminal album Timeless seems a bit far-fetched. And yet this is exactly what Henley Festival witnessed as Goldie joined up with the Heritage Orchestra to recreate what is regarded as a masterpiece of the genre. Goldie is a fascinating character, born Clifford Price in Walsall 51 years ago. He grew up in foster homes and became an artist, actor, musician, yoga convert, strictly come dancing competitor, voice of a generation and general force of nature. He now lives in Thailand, but as you'll hear, that does mean he has to make some sacrifices. I must be honest, my dream was that we conduct this interview in a greasy spoon cafe somewhere and I get you an egg and bacon sandwich. I love an egg and bacon sandwich. That's what I heard, that the thing oh, yeah. you miss most about bacon living in and Thailand. Eggs, you can't mess with it. I stack up my suitcase like I'm some smuggler <laughs> of, of, of Dunsley Farm bacon. I'm very English. I, I, you know, I, I, grew, I grew up, man, in England and I, I love this place. And, and even though I've gone to America, America wouldn't stick, but I think I like Thailand because it, it's the freedom of my daughter grew up in an environment which is a lot freer and a lot more eco-friendly and everything mm. else. And we frequent between the two, and I just do all of the stuff in the summer. You know, the orchestration shows have been overwhelmed with that stuff. There's a massive demand for that now, especially with the Heritage and the Timeless Project, which is amazing. And we're integrating the Journeyman into that. You're going to hear three Journeyman's new Journeyman's the new album. The new album, yeah. I mean, I heard Mirror River after the notation sessions this week from rehearsals for a little bit yesterday but then I heard it today it blew my mind it's just, it's a phenomenal show and uh, I'm just enjoying it I think that I'm I'm, I'm not the last of the, the those the, the, the great British and the artist thing I think it's, it's a great thing to, to be where at now with this I never made a record until I was 27 I never started yoga until I was 44 you know I'm doing this now at 51 you know I made the best album I've, I could have ever made at 51 and, and as some of the young kids that go out to my nightclub and we go week in, week out where I play, I just play glass and we three sets, I'm just laying it down. And they're like, this is amazing. And then you get to play all the upfront stuff and then you get to go, okay, let me play a rave set. So there's a big who are about the rave set, Arcadia, the 92 to 94 sets. It's just blowing everyone's mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's pre-internet, kids. And you can't <laughs> get that, that, that music. It's just, it's when rave was rave from Europe that you took from the European stuff. And then the English kids just went rave beat on it. And we owned it. It's what British people do very well. You're in Henley today. You're going to be um, playing with the Heritage Orchestra, of course. Now, I've heard it said 
not everyone necessarily gets classical music. I've also heard it said that not everyone necessarily gets drum and drum bass, and bass music. Yeah. music. Would you say, is that fair? How does this bring them together and what do you end um, up with? I, I think I think you, you end up with what we've, I've been doing for 20 years. You know, I, I wanted to orchestrate my music 20 years ago. People thought I was mad. And now I beat the classics. I said, that's the end of classics. You know, Croatian uh, classics. It's, it's like it's all going that way. We love classicist impression. We love classical music. But it's time for classicist impressionism. Where you take blueprints of electronica in the 90s and give it another lease of life. And that's what this does. The dynamics of drum and bass music, we all thought it was kids coming out of the woods on with, you know, on fire. It's not that bad, you know. Let's, you know, we're not witches, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's part of the staple diet now. People, let's not forget where we've come from, guys. A lot of people I've seen in the car park, you know, black tie, they're like, we went to the clubs 20 years ago. We've got kids now, we've got families, we're running businesses. But we don't forget that we went there. We enjoyed that part of our lives. And I think people need to go out and shake the dust off sometimes. And it's a great, it's a great collision of that culture. You've got an MBE, you, let's face it, you're accepted. You're a national treasure almost, yeah. I'd say. Does it feel like that? Do, do, you, do you want to be accepted? Does that bother you at all? Would you rather um, be a bit I've of an never, I've never, I've always been an underdog and I've never been accepted and I, and I probably never... Do you think? I don't know, I think I am more now. It's yeah. only it's the last couple of years though. It's almost like he went away and if it, all of a sudden I just popped up again. The minute I accept that is the minute when I, the ignorance kicks in. I think, I'm, I'm in, when, I, when I went in nightclubs like last week, I'm with the punters on the floor, mate. <laughs> Cause you know what I mean? They asked me about a record, they said, what was that tune you played? I'm not one of these house DJs, he's just too good for them and I need a rider and everyone know how I can. It's gonna be nine white doves in my room. <laughs> I'm one of the boys, I'm one of the lads. I always have been. And, 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 you know, from the white van man to people in, in really strong positions that, that, that reach out to me and say, look, you know, you're really a voice for, for a generation and a couple of generations now. And I like that. I feel it's, it's kind of like if you live in a, a street where everyone drives a McLaren or a Bentley, then a McLaren and a Bentley kind of fade. If you, if you live in a, in a world where I'm traveling and I'm seeing the world from a different perspective and I'm, I'm with poor people pushing cardboard around in, in Burma and then I'm on a motorbike with my daughter going, to yoga and then I'm got, and then I'm in Henley and then I'm I'm seeing it in a different perspective. I've an appreciation for this life now more than I ever did have. You made a very brief appearance on Strictly Come. Oh, it so was in and out. I won't was, let's not dwell on that. It's, it's, let's put the let's get the kids to university quickly. <laughs> but you also you kind of first started in Wolverhampton. Yeah. As, a, as a break dancer, the, yeah. the West Side crew. Are you still in touch with any of those yeah, guys? I'm, what in touch, I'm, in, I'm in touch with Birdie. I speak to Birdie a lot. Um, you know, I'm going back to Wolverhampton in November for the ensemble tour, so I guess they're, they're all, they're, all they'll be out with their kids bringing Because what they do is, their kids come to my raves now. Yeah. Which that is the strangest thing, where my mates who have grown within that first generation, not only did they do it once, I did it twice, then I did it a third time, because it was like graffiti first, then it was the music, and then it was the classical music. So it happened three different times. It's so crazy. Do, you, do you almost kind of look the path their life has taken, the path your life has taken and kind of wonder how did this happen? I always pinch myself, I won't my last How the heck did I get it? <laughs> so if someone could have told you as a boy in a foster home and you'd be playing the Henley Festival, kind of a load of people wearing sticky bones today, what would you have said? It's just, you wake me up from this dream, I don't know. I'm, I'm living the dream, I really am living the dream and I won't stop living the dream. I'm not stopping, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got lots of things I want to do. I think greatness can only be measured by leaving legacy behind, and then you've got to continue that.
this is Melanie C and you're listening to the Henley Festival Podcast. Comedian Kerry Pritchard-McLean has been making something of a name for herself in the short time she's been performing stand-up. She's won awards and all that kind of stuff, but most importantly, she makes people laugh. Kiri appeared on the Salon Comedy Club stage on the Thursday of the festival and despite of a pig of a journey to Henley, she was in fine form when she spoke to me just before going on. In this interview, she fleshes out the Kiri and Ben Fogel rumour that's been doing the rounds, talks about serial killer top trump cards and why Henley reminds her of toilets. But first, we kicked off with a little game of true or false. First of all, true or false, you are from Anglesey. That is true. That is true. Tell me a bit about Anglesey. Why is it such a wonderful place to grow up? It is fantastic. I grew up on a farm in the countryside. I mean, it's it's really brilliant to be like a free-range kid. And by that, I mean have irresponsible parents. <laughs> um, but it is really good. It's just so beautiful. Um, and then you get to a point where you're like, oh, I need to move away or have a baby. Those are the only two options. And I decided to go to university instead. So <laughs> that, that almost brings us nicely onto the next true or false. True or false, <laughs> you slept with Ben Fogel. <laughs> not true but that is a rumour that was spread in my high school and I had no idea where it came from it was I was, I was at university and someone was like well yeah you and you and old Ben <laughs> from Survivor and I was like what <laughs> and that is the the common rumour where I'm from is that I have bumped uglies with Ben Fogel and what made his dog watch I don't know what's going on <laughs> but that's mad isn't it have you ever met him I've never met him I wouldn't I don't think I've seen him once or twice on telly that's as close as it's it's come, but I mean, maybe I should put it on my wish list, cosmic ordering and all that. That'd be quite good. That's one of, I haven't made a New Year's resolution for 2017, so that's going to be it. It's going to be to seal the deal with Ben Fogel. And finally, you true or false, you are an expert when it comes to knowledge of serial killers. Oh, well, something of a jobbing amateur. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just a little side project. No, I am fascinated. I mean, I started doing a psychology at, in university, and um, so I think that's where the fascination comes from, and I love horror and things like that. And a friend of mine, Rachel Fairburn, and I, we do a podcast about serial killers, which was just sort of a weird thing to entertain ourselves. And now about 200,000 people listen to it every month, and it's this sort of weird sort of I, I daren't use the word cult but it's out there now isn't it so it's got a bit of a cult following um, so yeah I mean I've got a top three but haven't we all <laughs> well indeed Well, <laughs> when I started university uh, the first person I bumped into he's become a very long term friend of mine but he put together some top trumps his own top trumps all based upon serial killers wow well someone's got in there because you can buy them off Amazon really yeah I've got some and then I knocked them on the floor by mistake and my dog ate Jeffrey Dahmer who was a cannibal so I mean I mean that's perfect isn't it really <laughs> if your dog's going to eat one it should be Dahmer <laughs> I can never believe that the, my friend 20 odd years ago made top trumps for serial killers that that would ever come up in an interview <laughs> I ever did but my goodness me it's all material isn't it yeah your friend is a visionary <laughs> if he's got any other ideas you should really invest <laughs> because I think it's taken off the old top trumps Anyway, so they're the true and false. We've learned a bit about you. Tell me a bit more about yourself, about your comedy style. How you got into this kind of thing? Um, so I've been doing comedy about seven and a half years now. And I don't know what my style is. I think I just talk about my family and my background and boys. I was going to say a boy, but he's gone. Binned him off. Um, so he doesn't make this set anymore. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I'm quite chatty and quite friendly. I love talking to people. A lot of time I'll host nights because I, um, I just like speaking to people. I think, though, Henley is going to be the poshest group of people I've ever addressed ever oh I was in court once and it was just me and a judge maybe that's about the same thing but yeah I'm very excited 
So what do you know about Henley as a place? What does it mean to you? Um, isn't Boris Johnson, it's his constituency? Used to be. Oh, used, used to be. be. All right, okay, I'll let it slide then. Um, I come here once to collect a toilet. <laughs> I got a very specialist toilet. I've got an old Victorian toilet, and this ah. is the only place that somewhere down here made them. So There's a nearby town called Twyford, who, are very, who are like, oh, you often see on toilets. I was thinking on the train when I wasn't getting here on it. I was like, why do I know the name of this town? And that's why, yeah. So I came down here to get a toilet, and I was, I was blown away by how beautiful it was. It's so good, because it is... I mean, obviously the name is a bit of a clue, but it's just right on the waterfront. It's an incredible place. Um, so, yeah, it's very nice, but it doesn't feel like scumbags like me should be here for very long. So I'll try and get out before it gets dark <laughs> so I don't lower any house prices. <laughs> you mentioned there your train journey. You are here on the Thursday of the festival. and An awful lot of people may kind of have empathy with what you've been through today because they probably do that journey day in, day out. Oh. What happened? How did it go? I Well, I went to Paddington and then they said uh, no trains from Paddington um, because uh, the signals are too hot. Um, and, of course, in the oh, winter, yeah. they'll be too cold. Um, so then I went to Waterloo, and then I got on a train, and it was it was like something you would see, you know, you know in like other countries where people have got chickens under their arm. <laughs> it was like that. Um, and then I sat on the floor and pretended to have a panic attack, so everyone left me alone. And then I got to Reading, and then they cancelled all the trains out of Reading. And then I looked at the taxis. Uber was ninety pounds. I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, but I blagged my way into a taxi with a very nice businessman who paid for the taxi. Um, Bravo. Yeah, I know, I know. You, you've got to have a bit of the gift of the gab haven't you <laughs> and then I got to Twyford is that yeah, how you say so that and then Jewel had, of the South yeah absolutely <laughs> um, except they had no trains running out of there either so I got a taxi over so it's been it's been quite the journey it's been like Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> trying to get here as a stand up I always think is that something that you get used to do you know like all the communication networks of the whole country do you know back to front you play gigs in different places all the time I mean you do easily usually I drive though I usually do about a thousand miles a week to be a comedian to just get where you need to go and I usually drive because I like the comfort of my own car but I was like you know what yeah, I want to be carbon neutral here I'll use public <laughs> transport and all that happened was I just had to eat other people's breath for three hours so it's back to the car I think where I've got air conditioning and I can sing along very loudly to some music Hi there this is Stephen K Amos and you're listening to the Henley Festival Podcast Throughout the festival, the Bedouin stage plays host to many super-talented singer-songwriters, one of whom was Brighton-based guitarist Jack Pout. He's a devotee of the blues and shares this passion with his audience, never in a preachy way, but with a real easy-going charm. This is no act. He's like it off stage too, as you're about to hear. And when I spoke to Jack, he talked blues, the joys of touring, and dreams of a life in the Far East. I was influenced loads by Dylan, John Martin, uh, Captain Beefheart, like early stuff. So it's, it's, it's pushing back on the same chaps who brought back the early blues. Influenced by them on my own stuff, but then I do cover a lot of the early blues stuff as well. So it's, it's linked in with that feel. How did you get into those guys? Dad. Twas ever thus, your parents <laughs> handed down. My uh, earliest memories are listening to Captain Beefheart records and... Reverend Gary Davis. How old were you when you were listening to Captain Beefheart for crying out loud? <laughs> About two or three. What kind of parenting is this? I know. The satanic rituals we had really made him. No. Uh, yeah, Beefheart and Sonny Terry and Brian McGee. Yes. They're, they're the, the yes. big blues. Big blues. How hard is it being, uh, you know, earning a living from being a musician? I presume that you do. It depends how you. 
it's, I think a lot of people say how much you want to compromise, but I, I don't think it's so much that. I think it depends on your outlook and what you can do with your skills and your interests. You know, if there's always a venue somewhere that wants a two-hour set, and if you can have, you know, I'm into the blues, and of course there's not a massive market, it's not a big selling market, but if you're saying, look, I can do two hours of this, someone's going to pay. So <laughs> it's stuff like that. It's utilising your skills, I think, in that way. It's, it's difficult at the minute, especially in the UK, mm. to make money from being a musician. And I'm, I'm down south in Brighton where it, it, it can be quite tricky as well. But if you're heading out to like, Germany, Holland, they, they pay far better. So you do tour abroad then? Yeah, well, we're in uh, France, Germany and uh, Holland in February this year. And then we'll be in Croatia in September, Spain in October. Now, many people would want to know who wanted to be musicians. What is it like, a young musician, a young guitarist, a singer-songwriter on the road abroad in Europe? Because that's kind of the dream for all those people who wanted to make it. Uh, yeah, I freely admit it's the dream. <laughs> it's heaven, man, it's heaven. Um, I'd love to have some horror story like, no, it's awful, but it's incredible. I bet it is. It's just even stupid things, just driving. I mean, I for the last tour, because we do it, obviously self-finance, we toured... Um, all in this one van and I took a 10 hour bus to one place then it's an 8 hour immediately arrive get in the, in the van do an 8 hour drive somewhere else even that bit is just lovely because it's a freedom isn't it you and do you behave yourself I don't need necessarily details I don't want to give details <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have my fun you know What next for you then, uh, you know, when it comes to world domination, what are the next steps? Um, getting my giant super laser, uh, the parts <laughs> are ordered. <laughs> no, um, next up, so in a week's time I'm releasing a new EP uh, of just five covers, five artists I've collaborated with. It's a nice thing to pass the time in summer. Then it's recording the album, I'm recording that. Um, What's the EP called, sorry? The EP is called Chrono Manual Man, part two. I've, I've released one before. It's uh, it's all done on tape cassette, so it's supposed. To, it's my idea of a pun. Do you know? Uh, You're releasing it on tape cassette. I'm actually not. I'm having to release it digitally. I'd love to have the cassettes to give out, but it's all recorded through tape cassette. Okay. It's recorded through 70s Japanese tape machines, uh, which is not as hipster as it sounds. I promise. I just have a real fascination with the sound of them. But it's, it's supposed to be a pun, like Chromanual Man being the missing link. Yes. Uh, Chrono Manual Man, like time hands on. I'm with you. I'm yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I apologise for explaining the joke. <laughs> it was a very fun. I, there is, the comedy stages, are, they, they may have a slot for that kind of. They need this sort of thing, don't they? They need that material. I can explain all my jokes. They love 70s tape material over there. It's their big fans. Thank God, I've got loads of stuff about JVC 900s. They'll love it. Um, yeah, so... Where do you hope to be in five, ten years' time? Where do you hope this leads? Quite happily, all I want is enough people in every city to come along so I can just make full living off it. Happy to live in a van, that's kind of in my mind. If I was dead candid with you, we have to keep this a secret, the big plan would be living in Japan. Really? Really, really, really. As a musician? Yes, as a musician. Why is that? Are they particularly receptive to this kind of style? Or why is it? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no concept what they think of uh, revivalist folk blues. But I've got a, a real love and fascination with Okinawan culture and I've, it's something I do uh, privately. At home is I try and learn the shamisen and the little Japanese tunes that I, I like. Uh, I'd, I'd really like to spend some time there. So if you're asking where would I be in five, ten years, yeah. Gigging constantly and living in Japan would be the, the real apex, I think. And here alone stand I And how could I be missing
Hello, I'm Ruby Turner and you're listening to the Henley Festival Podcast. You may not know the name of Michael Fenton Stevens off by heart, but trust me, do a Google image search and I'll bet you'll know the face. And when you hear his voice in a moment, that'll also trigger similar feelings of recognition. He's been involved in so much great work over the years, particularly comedy, and he was at the festival as part of the Radioactive Team, a fictional radio station comedy satire that originally appeared on Radio 4 in the 80s and was recently resurrected as a stage show. Other team members at the festival included Helen Atkinson-Wood, Angus Dayton and Philip Pope, The latter pair formed the Bee Gees parody act Heebie Jeebies with Michael and they enjoyed stunning success. He talks about that, the surprise of headlining in front of In Excess, getting a novelty number one and why Henley is better than Glastonbury. But he starts by explaining why Radioactive made a comeback. We did it first of all at Edinburgh last year. Somebody said, do you want to go to Edinburgh? And we said, "Um, yeah, okay, what with? And they said, well, why don't you come up and sort of do a do your old stuff and see if people like it. We were quite dubious about it. We thought um, that actually it would maybe get an elderly audience that actually remember the thing. But um, we were delighted with the response. We we absolutely sold out and we had uh, great crowds and a lot of young people who'd never heard it before. And they they still laughed at it, which I suppose... I mean, there obviously are some references to the period it's written in. I heard Shalimar mentioned at one point. that's why not. Who wouldn't want to mention (laughs) Shalimar? At any time, and is it enjoyable to do? Yeah, it's lovely. Well, we've been we've all been friends since we were students, so we've been very good friends, all of us. Uh, sadly, that one of our members uh, that was another reason why we, for many years, haven't done anything really, is because one of our dear friends, who was very uh, instrumental in the whole process, Jeffrey Perkins, um, died a few years back. Nearly and ten years ago now. Nearly it? ten years ago now. Yes, and he's actually buried I- I- here in Henley. Is he really? Yes, we all went to the. Is it the Red Lion over the road yes. for, the, for after the funeral? The church is by, right by the Red Lion. Yeah. 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 So he's um, so it was uh, for us quite um, poignant to be performing oh, okay. here today, you know. Um, and uh, we've all been thinking of him a lot, and we, and we miss him enormously. And it's one of the reasons why we didn't we sort of held off doing it because we weren't sure that we could ever do it without him. Uh, and then somebody said, well, you know, he wrote a lot of the material. He wrote sort of, you know, half the material, and it, uh, do it as a tribute to him, you know, and uh, for his his stuff and actually it's always great and we've got a little section in it where we play a, a bit of Jeffrey from the radio show which always gets really good laughs and it's lovely to hear his voice so. now you guys would have started doing this when you I guess you were early 20s I, I, I think I was 19 really? 19 yeah yeah Angus auditioned me for, for to go up to the Edinburgh Festival uh, I, I had intentions to be a serious actor I am at the moment uh, working for the RSC and I'm genuinely working for the RSC in London doing a Queen Anne at the Haymarket how do you look back on those days? Uh, well, enormously, enormous fondness, obviously. You know, I mean, it, it, it changed the direction of everything I was going to do. Uh, Angus auditioned me and said, do you want to go to Edinburgh? And then we went up there and we recorded. We, we did um, the heebie-jeebies as part of that show. And then we got a record deal and we got a radio series oh. and we did eight radio series. And then we went on to television. So we worked together uh, a lot as a group for about 12 years on and off you know we did other things in the meantime I sort of pursued the idea of being a proper actor but uh, but we had fantastic time together and we still do I mean the great thing is that we didn't feel any need to sort of come back together because in fact we've never really been apart we all um, it's a bit sad really we all holiday together we see each other regularly we meet and we go out for each other's birthdays that's not uh, sad that's no lovely. it's just lovely yeah. <laughs> years ago John Cleese said to me don't you all hate each other and I because I, 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 apparently the pythons sort of spit up but I said no no I, we all uh, you know, love each other it's great
You mentioned there the heebie-jeebies. That's what an awful lot of people will know, uh, the radioactive uh, team. Did you ever play festivals and things like that we back did. in the heyday? Well, yeah, we absolutely did. We played some ridiculous things. We, <laughs> in fact, we went to Australia on tour as the heebie-jeebies, and we, um, we were playing enormous venues. We toured just in front of Men at Work, if anybody oh. remembers Men at oh, Work. Good. And Men at Work at the time were number one all over the world with well, Land Down and Under. Under. And, uh, and we were doing the same venues as them the wow. night before, and we sold more tickets. Oh. It's absolutely ridiculous. It was great. We played in, We played at 40,000-seater at one point for, a, for Live Aid. And because we were the only foreign band on the bill, they put us top of the bill. <laughs> so we were having a chip on your shoulder. Marvellous. But it was absurd because we went out to do these silly silly pop spoofs <laughs> on the back of you know, In Excess and things like that. It was crazy. Taken from their album 439 Golden Greats, it's Gary, Dobbin and Norris Cribb. It's the Heebie-Jeebies! <laughs> The golden rays of golden sun fall on your golden hair And I brush aside the golden sheet and see you golden Yeah, when you three came on tonight, it went down incredibly well. And I must be honest, um, your uh, your colleague, Philip Pope, he's singing, goodness me. He's amazing. He's still amazing. He's, uh, he's always been amazing. I mean, really, the, the heebie-jeebies are Oh, has always been Philip. Were, were you singing live? We you saw your, yeah, your no, solo no. bit live, but the harmonies, because they were incredibly good as well. Yeah, yeah no, we still sing live. So, yeah, we've um, yeah we've always... But we've done it a lot over a long time. You know, it's a bit high, yeah, I have high. to say. Yeah. But not for Philip. He can still go right. Yeah. I, I used to do some really high notes in that thing, but I, 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 I said to Phil, you'll have to do them. I can't do them anymore. <laughs> Weeks ago, um, some friends of my daughter, they entered a talent show and yeah. they sung the chicken song. You're connected to the chicken song in a very direct way. I am connected, but uh, and so is Philip. Yeah. Uh, Philip wrote it. Uh, and so, and, and we used to, one of the spin-offs in a way of, of being in the heebie-jeebies was that we then followed on from that and did nearly all the music for Spitting Image. Uh, so that was, but not under the name of the heebie-jeebies, we just did it as, so Philip was the musical director of Spitting Image and he wrote this song as what, with one of, and it was one of, um, I think, about eight songs we recorded that day. For all the teenagers listening who maybe don't know how it goes, could you just give me, just you know, beautifully, maybe just read out the first line? Okay, I can sing. I can sing the. I'll sing I you the chorus. Sing it, yeah. I'll sing it. <laughs> uh, it goes. It's the time of year now that spring is in the air when those two wet gits with their girly curly hair sing another song for moronic holidays that nauseates eight eight in a million different ways from the shores of Spain, Spain. to the coast of southern France, France. no matter where you hide oh, you can just uh, escape this dance hold a 
chicken in the air, stick a deck chair up your nose, buy a jumbo jet, and then bury all your clothes. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> that was lovely. My goodness me, what a special moment. But, uh, I didn't think it would but happen. It, it's a co- it's, it was just coincidence. I actually sang the lead vocal on it, and it was just sort of looking around a room, and Phil said, do you want to sing this one, Mike? And I went, okay. <laughs> and and uh, so, yes, I've sang the lead vocal on a, a number one. So where next for you guys? Oh, well, uh, we all do our own things. You know, Phil writes lots of music for television shows and because uh, so, he's, you know, and theme tunes and that sort of stuff. And Helen uh, is an actress and, and also presenter and journalist and uh, does lots of that sort of work. But, um, uh, and, and I just act in whatever comes along. I've just finished doing, sort of about jumping about, I've just finished doing a, a series of Benidorm for ITV and uh, and then in fact Philip's going to, to Benidorm tomorrow to and film Ang- was Angus in Benidorm? Angus in but we've all been in Benidorm <laughs> That's is that a nice gig to go and do? it's a fantastic gig and Darren Lydon who writes it it was a very good well Jeffrey was the original producer yeah. on Benidorm so we have this connection with it and Darren Lydon who writes it has always sort of said we're going to get you all in eventually but I've had a lovely time in Benidorm and they are a fantastic group of people and it's a it's you are in Benidorm and you, you live the Benidorm life and it's you have to throw yourself into it it's brilliant brilliant fun and the cast are just gorgeous so I loved it going out there doing it I've had a brilliant time doing that I did that came back started rehearsing with the RSC doing a very serious play in the West End now and then when I finish that I'm going to do Panto <laughs> <laughs> and finally then you've you had a chance to wander around the Henley Festival yet what have you made of it, it it's very impressive because we went to Glastonbury which I regarded as hell on earth so I have to say <laughs> seeing a place with lots of lovely chairs to sit down in the marvellous food and uh, and decent wine and uh, beer you think and and good acts everywhere you think so well this is great this so, is so maybe on the posters a vast improvement on hell on earth yeah well I, I, i'm you're having a quite you quote me if you like i will say far better than glastonbury marvelous thank you so much cheers Finally then, thanks for listening. Coming up in future episodes, you'll be hearing from Sarah Pascoe, Gina Washington and Stephen K. Amos, to name but a few. Remember to subscribe and the next offering will be available in a couple of weeks. If you've yet to hear it, why not go back and check out episodes one and two, which feature Melanie C., Russell Kane and others. Remember to keep an eye on the website henley-festival.co.uk and our social media for details about the 2018 festival and we hope to see you there. 